Taylor Morton, some of you might remember when he was here, uh, a walk-on at Alabama from uh, uh, down in Centerville, but uh, had cancer and cancer surgery, but just sold out for God. So we're excited that he's going to be here on August the 14th. If there's, it's like Larry said, if there's ever been a time that the people who know the Lord, the people who have been redeemed by the blood of Jesus that call him Lord and Savior need to pull ranks tight and get hand in hand and arm in arm and face what we're facing in this world, it's now. And that's why Sunday night prayer is so important because we, we pray for all the schools in the city and county system. We pray for all the principals. We pray for all the staff. And uh, we know the challenges. We understand the challenges. If you, don't, if you don't really understand the challenges, just sign up to be a substitute teacher and try it one day. It, it'll make you pray for them. Because it's just a challenging occupation. So we, we're, we're praying for them, and uh, we're believing for God to make this 2016-2017 school year a phenomenal school year. Amen? For Chi Alpha at the University of Alabama, but also for all of our schools, we're just praying for revival in our school system. Um, and, and Larry was uh, getting the prime timers yesterday to make a video, so we'll... We'll video you at some point for promotion of All In. But as he was passionately, and he had to raise the passion level because we just all ate fried fish and fixings and desserts, so we really need passion there. So he brought it. And uh, we did this video about All In. One of them said, well, why August the 14th? Isn't it like we ought to be All In today? And Yeah, every day. But I don't know if we really... Do, do we really live that every day? Somebody, and I, I try to stay away from political subjects because to me, this book has plenty for me to preach on without diving into current events. And, and I'm aware of things that's going on, but this book is the solution, right? And as we, we, we're going through all of this, you know, it, I heard someone on the radio. I, had, I attended a funeral in Jacksonville, Florida last week. And I heard someone say, this isn't in my notes, so I don't even know if we need to record this or not, but you can let it run. Um, would God approve of who you're going to vote for in November for president? You know, and I, and I thought about that. I thought about that for several miles. I was by myself on a long trip, and I thought, I don't know. I don't know if the Lord approved who I voted for four years ago. I, I know. I'm pretty sure that he didn't approve of who I voted for in 72. He turned out to be, you know, pushed out of the presidency, Richard Nixon. But I got to thinking about that. I says, why do we, why do we push something like that on the minds of people that we do once every four years and we really don't ask does the Lord approve of us watching four hours of television every night? Does the Lord approve of the programs we watch? Does the Lord approve how we treat people every day? And I thought how, how superficial it is to lock into the first Tuesday of November every four years and make that a qualifying of whether or what we do. 
I believe the Lord approves of us participating in the process. But he is more interested in what you're doing with your life now than what you're going to do in November. Now, you may, you may differ on that. That's, that's your uh, prerogative. But I really think the Lord wants us to be all in every day. But sometimes you have a, a focus and interest to kind of rally around an idea and say, let's strive to have the best that we can have for the glory of God. Not for us. Before we came out of, of my office, every Sunday between Sunday school and church, the praise team and I gather back here in my office and we pray. And this morning we prayed that we would, we would fade into the background and that Jesus would be center stage. That Jesus would be the focus of our day, the focus of this right here. That it wouldn't be on me, that it wouldn't be, you know, look at me and what I'm doing, but focus on Jesus. And in 2 Corinthians 5, there is a real identifiable focus on Jesus that I want to take you to. 2 Corinthians 5. This chapter is such a great chapter that it gives a perspective on death that is powerful. And we're all going to deal with death with our friends, our family. At some point, we're all going to deal with it. What, what is God's perspective on that? And then what is God's perspective on life? And when it gets to the latter part, uh, around verse um, 17, from verse 17 on down, it's just a great section of the Bible. If you've been around me very much and I deal with this chapter, I love verse 17 all the way through the end of the chapter. But in verse 15, it kind of puts it in where you can think about what's happening in 17 on following and what he says in verse 15. Here's verse 15. That Christ died, he died for all, so that they who live, watch this, they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. That Jesus died for all people, and that they who are alive because of that would no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. And what follows in verse 17 is an expansion of that thought. It's more of a description of what he said in verse 15. These is where you find the language of salvation and, and how salvation works. It, it is a description of the salvation work of God in our lives. Look with me at verse 17. I'm going to read it out of two or three different translations here. The first one is the New American Standard. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away. Behold, new things have come. If you have an NIV translation, it's going to read like this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. Now, I memorized it out of the King James, like probably most older people here. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And so it's a little bit different, but 
the word anyone is not male or female. It's an indefinite pronoun. It really means anybody. Anybody, anywhere that's in Christ is a new creation. And if you stop right there, everything that follows that goes back to those two little words, in Christ. None of the rest of this matters without those two little words. In fact, it's probably Paul's most used phrase in talking about our relationship is always in Christ. I can do all things through Christ, in Christ. We have our peace. In Christ is where all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. It's all about in Christ, and that's the key phrase. And it's this in Christ that we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. Before we get to that, just think about for a moment in Christ and go back to verse 15. In Christ, if anyone is in Christ, meaning in Christ who died for you. The in Christ who died and rose again. In that Messiah, if anyone is in that Messiah, that connection makes clear whatever happens next is possible. In Christ, who died on our behalf, and even that does not really describe Jesus on the cross and exiting the tomb three days later. Because we can say that Jesus died for us and died for me, and that would be true, right? That he died on my behalf. But, but let me tell you, that statement gets a little bit more profound when you look at it from the perspective of 2 Corinthians 5 later on. That he was made sin who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. He became sin for us. In other words, Christ on the cross was not just dying for us, he was dying in our place. He was taking our place. What we deserved as the judgment of God, he absorbed the full wrath of God against sin for all of us. He was doing more than dying for you and me. He was dying in our place, absorbing what we deserve to get. And you might say, well, Pastor, I didn't, I didn't live too bad of a life before I got saved. Well, I can tell you this, how good you were before you got saved, according to the Bible, is like filthy rags to God. Right? So we can say, well, compared to other people, I wasn't that bad. But compared to God, we were all rebels and sinners, right? Christ died in our place. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. Catissus is the word. It comes from a verb meaning to make habitable, to people, to create a place to find a community, a region, even an island, a place for people to live, a colony, a city. And in God's perspective, it is to create the worlds that we know and to form and shape 
and completely change and transform something. So anyone who is in Christ, let me describe it under that definition. Anyone in Christ has been reshaped, reformed, remolded, transformed by the creative power of God. Amen. Therefore, you know, can, can anything be more descriptive than what we're about to read about salvation? What happened to you when you were saved? I tell you, we got a good explanation of what happened to Doug Blakeney Wednesday night. He said things about himself before he got saved that, you know, we was in love. That sure don't look like that you would have been like that. But here, can there be a better description from when you were saved to what you described looking back as to the old is gone, the new has arrived? What old things are gone? The old self. My brother counts two birthdays. One of them is August the 5th. 1945, the day that Japan received the first atomic bomb from U.S. forces. It was, someone was going to say, well, that was, that was August the 6th. When it was dropped, it was August the 5th here. I know it's technical. But he was born on that day, August the 5th, 1945. But he'll tell you the date that he was, he was born again that was more profound and dramatic than the day he was born into this world. Because the radical change that took place in his life. He became a different human being. I guess just like Doug Blakeney became a totally different, transformed human being. Did that happen to you? Maybe with some it's more easy to measure than with others. But your old ideas are gone. Your old wants are gone. Your old ways, your old attitudes, they're gone. They passed away. That word means to like, like someone died. The old went away. If you're in Christ, the old has gone. And you might say, well, pastor, I've been still dealing with some of the old. Well, that's because if we forget about the old, just hang on, the enemy will sure remind you of what you used to do and what you used to think about. Because that's all he can do. Because as far as the east is from the west, God has moved our sins from us. He's removed all of our wrong, all of our transgressions and trespasses. It's all gone. You know, the Lord has broken the power of sin over us when we're saved. We have a choice. Finally, we have a choice as to what we do with our life. Before we're saved, we're enslaved. We're blinded. We're deceived. And the new has arrived. The old is gone. The new has replaced it. So, in a way, this is how God flips houses. I don't know. I love to watch that. It's one of the few programs I like to watch. Is them taking an old house that's just awful. How many other people here like to watch that program? Because it's, a, it's a, like a metamorphosis. And they go in, they start ripping stuff out, and when they get in, they, you know, they add drama to it. Well, that's, 
that was unexpected. We didn't know the plumbing underneath all that. So they come in with jackhammers and, and then they have pictures of how it was before and how it was as a new house. And it doesn't even look like the same house, does it? All of the old is gone. And everything looks new. It's the same location, the same place, but this transformation has taken place. And what what do they call it when they bring in all new furniture? What, staging or something like that? You know, they do that for houses that's on the market. Because maybe, you know, they don't like the people's furniture that's in the house. And they come in, they just like... I guess rent the furniture. It's, it's not coming with the house. It's just to help sell the house. And that's where the analogy stops. Because God doesn't do staging in our lives. The new that he brings is permanent. It stays. It's not momentary. It's not just to sell somebody on the idea that something has happened in your life. It becomes permanent. Your new person is a permanent work of God. Old things are passed away. New things have come. We think of the actual work of salvation and it is utterly and completely amazing. And it took someone like John Newton who was a operated a slave ship and was a notorious person that when he was saved And all of that was eradicated out of his life. He wrote the great hymn, Amazing Grace. And it's not, what we have in salvation is not a rehab. God doesn't rehab us. I don't even know what that's short for. I know rehabilitation, right? Is that what it is? Rehabilitation? It's not even that. It's not someone telling you You're good. You're wonderful. Be strong. Try harder. Don't do drugs anymore. Don't surrender to alcohol anymore. Have have some resistance in your life. And and you have these voices continually telling people, don't do this. When you're saved, you're saved from the inside out, not from the outside in. Not from someone coaching you, but there's a transformation. It is salvation. It's trusting Jesus. It's believing Jesus. It's putting your hope in Jesus. It's surrendering all of your life to Christ. If any person, anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Think about the final Passover meal that Jesus had with his disciples. He instituted a couple of things there, but one of the things he spoke to them, he says, I give you a new commandment. I'm giving you a brand new commandment. One commandment. Love one another. And then as they got to the meal portion of the Passover meal, and he held that that one cup, a single cup in his hand. We have individual cups that we use in communion, and I know some of you are probably grateful that we don't pass around one cup. But there was a a significance to that one cup that Jesus held in his hands. And what did he say that cup represented? A new 
covenant, a, a new arrangement, a new order between you and me. And the wine that is in this cup is reflective of my blood that will be spilt in the next 12 hours for you. Here, drink it. Drink all of it. In other words, he was saying, what I'm doing, I don't want it to be with you. I want it to be in you. I want it to be part of your constitution, how you think, how you live, how you live life. In a way, Jesus was challenging them. Brother Larry saying, I want you all in. I want you, as you drink this, to say, count me in. No matter what happens tonight. And he told them, he warned them all, that you're going you're gonna to be in a way that you never think or thought that you would be in. All of you will forsake me. And on down the line, every single one of them says, never. But he says, all of you are going to melt under the pressure tonight. But he still coveted with them because he knew they would rebound. He knew they would make it. Towards the end of, end of the Bible, in Revelation, the Revelation, you'll find an amazing scene in chapter 21. And it's near the end of the Bible itself and the last book of the Bible. The white throne judgment is over. All judgment has been meted out on Satan and his angels and on the ungodly. It's all done. It's over with. And then John writes these words as chapter 21 starts. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. You see, God is not even going to let the old hang around. When everything is said and done, we're going to have everything new. The whole universe is going to be new. Brand new universe. For the first heaven and the first earth has passed away. Have you seen that term before? Gone. No longer any sea, none of that. And he said, I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, not an old Jerusalem remade, but a brand new Jerusalem, the city of God, coming out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, look, God's dwelling. His dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. And there's something else old that's going to be done away with in the very next verse. And I've often wondered, why is it after the great white throne judgment that God wipes away tears from the eyes of people in heaven? Why would, why would that be of a necessity? Because tragically, we're going to watch people we know be judged at the white throne judgment, which is a judgment for all those who refuse to give their lives to Christ. 
And it's after the white throne judgment. He says, I will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. And watch these words. If you don't have Revelation 21 open, you ought to at least thumb through it right now and underline this. For the old order of things has passed away. It seems to me that God is so interested in making us new and making everything new, nothing old is going to be left in existence. Amen. You know, the the smell of a new car is a wonderful smell until you make the first payment. But it is a wonderful smell. Used to, when you bought a mobile home, we bought a brand new mobile home, you had to run in and look at it, and then your eyes started burning. I don't know what they made those things out of, but it's a wonder anybody bought them. It'd be hot. We ran in and looked at it. Yeah, we'll take it right back out, wiping our eyes. That's a wonderful thing to have something new, but God is going to make everything, and even it says this, he who is seated on the throne said, are you there? Somebody that turned to 21.5. Somebody can pull that up on their phone real quick. But I'm going to beat you to it. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I'm making everything new. And then he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty will I give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. He is making us new. Still making us new, right? (laughs) He's still working on me. I can't tell you much about the Charles Lynn prior to my salvation because I had the the privilege of experiencing salvation as a young boy. Transformational encounter with Jesus as just a young boy. But regardless of how long you and I have known the Lord, we will constantly be in need of reminding the old is gone and the new has arrived. Because like I said, there's old still out there. But there's new is in us. A table of unleavened bread. Cups of grape juice, not wine. We go with grape juice here, so nobody has to worry. But it's for us to consume so that we identify that we're in Christ and he's in us, right? We consume this, the bread and the juice, because it illustrates that Christ is in me. And I remember that by doing this. Brandon, if you and the praise team can come back to the platform. He lives within me. He lives in us. You remember the song we used to sing every Easter? He lives. He lives. Christ Jesus lives today. He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. He lives. He lives. Salvation to impart. You asked me how. I know he lives. 
He lives within my heart. The evidence that I'm saved is not someone constantly telling me I'm saved. It's Christ himself in me revealing that I'm saved. And if you don't have that, I feel sorry for you. Because he died on the cross and rose again, not to make a historical point, but to make a transformational intersection of life for you to experience the wonder and the majesty that old things are gone. If you're still dealing with old things and you're going through a kind of a cycle of rehab, maybe not at, at, at a place that charges exorbitant amount of money as long as the insurance pays for it, because that's what most of them are. There's only one, there's only one way to be transformed, and that is through the salvation work of Jesus. And he wants to do that work in us. He died to do that work in us. Would you stand with me?